Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today, and I'm joined, as always, by by my good friend, my business partner, uh, a man who who's <laughs> who's received a new whiskey moniker. He's now the it's whiskey true. wizard, and his 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 Christian name is Jason Johnston Yellen. Hi, Jason. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'd, I'd like to give a shout out to Andrew Miller, the champagne of people, <laughs> who wrote in suggesting Whiskey Wizard. Yeah. yeah. That's, it's the type of nickname that you ought not give yourself. And so, so Andrew Miller writing in mm-hmm. allowed me to really you know, grab onto that. White Walker, to be honest with you, I've, I've never seen, you know, I, I won't say that. I won't say I've never seen Game of Thrones. I watched the first episode and said, well, that's quite sufficient. And so I, I don't actually know the White Walkers. But you've seen them before. But you, you, can't, you can't have avoided Literally, seeing... I couldn't, couldn't pick them out of a lineup. Okay. Literally, you ready? no idea. You ready? Grab a mirror and gaze forward. <laughs> what, a, what an asshole. Um, it was interesting. During your, during your wonderful introduction, I, I was mm-hmm. thinking... I remember what this introduction sounded like coming out of Haida's mouth. <laughs> and now Jesus. I've got to and now I've got to retune my ear mm. to it coming out of Joshua's mouth. And and whose whose rendition do you like who, whose rendition do Haida's. you Haida's. Haida's. Well, oh sorry, was... sorry. Uh, sorry. I, uh, no sorry, sorry. I'll let you finish your question. I, I might have I might have mistakenly uh, finish your question for you. Please ask the question again. Hide us. Go again. What question? <laughs> uh, who, whose rendition? Hide us. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I tell you. I tell you what. I want to listen to more episodes of the Whiskey Widows. That that peaked. That peaked my interest. Yeah, you know, we we had again. We had this idea. Shit, we had this idea last year, and it's just finally taken taken root and and became an episode. But them never having done a podcast <laughs> and knowing that it took us a good long while to kind of get into a groove. Right after a few episodes, we needed that practice, and they were just boom, right in it, right in it. I thought I thought they were. It fantastic. was annoying, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Oh yes, yes. Sorry, I yeah, not annoyed. <laughs> Why would I be annoyed with their achievement? That doesn't make any sense. That's there's, not the right word. The Frustrated Yet again. Is that the right word? Yeah. Irate. Is that the right word? Just people writing in and saying, "Well, there goes your jobs." It's like, yep, yep. There they go. Speaking of, um, I did. Yes. Oh, yeah, I was yes. going to say. Speaking of people I, writing in, there were there were a lot of. A lot of comments, and I, I wanted to bring. I know you wanted to bring some up. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking over the single cast nation uh, members only private Facebook group. Uh, Travis Williams, I, I think, <laughs> got at the heart of what we're doing on that podcast. Um, dick, dick, <laughs> working through this one now. Had to close my office. Yes, a real office at door. For this one, great stuff here, gents. 
See, he oh. laid the patriarchy right back at our door. Yes, he did. Right? Yes, he did. At our office door, one might say. <laughs> office room door? <laughs> office room. It's, it's funny you should say that. Vadim responded to Travis with, you mean a room? Which I think was one of the greater in-depth conversations <laughs> we had in that episode. There was, uh, there was also, there were, oh, geez, there were a lot of really good comments. So uh, Ben Homan, and, and actually what Ben Homan said here, was was echoed by a few other people where they said this was one of my favorite episodes to date that's yeah that, that's some high praise that escalated quickly um um did you say where where that comment was yeah so that was on our one nation under whiskey facebook page and oh there's another one here too that i want to read by by vlad it says vlad vd but i think his last name is dubes and He says, this was a wonderful episode. Very family-oriented indeed. (laughs) Yes, if you cut out all the four-letter words that our construction worker wives say. You know that Tim, Tim on the Single Cast Nation page went down a very similar path. Yeah. He's got quotes and directions here. Quoting quoting himself, this sounds like it should be a nice, wholesome episode. Direction, 13 seconds in. (laughs) Quote to himself, oh... Better make some popcorn. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the kids refer to that as NSFW, not safe for work. <laughs> uh, that was that was well done. Did you include Skinny there on the One Nation Under Whiskey page? Well, no, that's that's a good point because uh, it, it kind of coincides with what with what Tim said. Of course, the the time marker is a little different. Where Tim. References 13 seconds. Skinny references five minutes. He says, five minutes in, coffee spit all over my car. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, 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 ha. Yep. Yep. Our our good friend Michael Nolan over text went down a similar path. Listened to the podcast today. I was in tears in the first five minutes. Then I quickly felt sorry for you, Jason. (laughs) Joshua was hiding <laughs> and then and then as nolan continues here good thing i met tamara a couple of times otherwise i would be terrified to meet her <laughs> that's kind of there's a there's a there's a professorial intensity uh-huh. to tamara that that there's a, a tenacious burrowing down burrowing even through answers to get mm. to further answers mm-hmm. And I was, let me just say, Joshua, I was happy to take that one for the team. So I was, I was okay with you hiding. Well, uh, conversely, we got a, <laughs> a, an, an email from Michael Bloom. And, and, and the email really had to do with, with other things that, that we'd been going back and forth on, in part including his, his 50-state blend, which, which I know you know about. And made national news, Absolutely. Which, is, which is very cool. Absolutely, uh, but but yep. in the well done, Michael. In the email, he says, "Your wife is hilarious. What a great episode." <laughs> <laughs> it's a slightly different comment than what Michael Nolan said about your wife. <laughs> yeah, Michael Bloom never did email me about his thoughts on tomorrow. But there you go. So it goes. I'll get out of here uh, with these comments. New Nation member Farina Reyes. Yes, she says. Loved this episode of Whiskey Widows podcast. Clicklet. 
Click, click. <laughs> I did find myself for about a week after that recording walking around saying click, click. Click, click. Oh, my gosh. Is that the noise Dorothy's slippers made in The Wizard of Oz when, when she put the heels together? Did they say click, click? There's no place like home. Click, click. There's no place like home. Click, click. There's no place like home. Oh, my gosh. And then she ended up at home. So, so that was that was tremendous. I, I don't know if you I've been surprised by Tamara. Tam, mm. Tamara was was really nervous going into the recording, and then and then was kind of hoping that they'd pulled it off in in a in a useful way. And and on the day it went live, you and I mm. over a, a shared a communal text thread were posting positive messages mm-hmm. for for both of our wives. Yeah. It was interesting, lying in bed that night, Tamara had said to me, so what other positive comments have there been that I haven't heard about? And it was like, yeah. oh boy, you have, uh-huh. you've had a little taste uh-huh. here, a little taste. We've created a monster. <laughs> Speaking of creating a monster, right. my two boys are now asking when they get their turn. Mm. And, and at the dinner table just a couple of nights ago, they wanted me to pull out the calendar. Like they were like, "When are we scheduling this?" And uh, and I and I said to them, oh, "It will not be 2020. If it happens, it will not be 2020." And they were thoroughly downcast and downhearted. Wow. Can, can I tell yeah. you exactly how interested my two daughters are in doing something like that? Hugely. Exactly zero interested, zero percent interested. <laughs> I'm sure Mimi at least would come in for a little conversation. Reluctantly, at the, uh, I don't know. Get some whiskey in her. <laughs> here you go. Come here, my twelve-year-old child. Have some whiskey. <laughs> hey, um, I, we have a wonderful, wonderful guest today. That that I know we need to get indeed. To our conversation with her, Stephanie McLeod of Bacardi. That was a real fun conversation. But there were there were two other episodes where we got some comments coming in, sort of callback to previous episodes, and I thought it'd be a good idea to talk about those before we move over to Stephanie. Absolutely. Cool. Do you want to? Absolutely. You want to do yours? Should I say absolutely again? Yeah, say absolutely again. After the Carolang episode went live, mm-hmm. and that, that was another one that was very well received, independent yeah. bottler to independent bottler chats, mm-hmm. uh, I think are always well received by our listeners. And so uh, a chap whose name we, we mentioned a fair bit, he, he always follows up with, with great questions or on Extra Extra, he followed up with a couple of great factoids. Um, here we've got Kyle Patrick Wardlow asked a follow-up question of Cara, Mm-hmm. And then we sent it along to Kara, and she responded. And so we Love wanted it. to circle back to, to that episode uh, and have an answer in place. So Kyle asks of Kara Lang, of Douglas Lang, yeah. he, he says, do you guys know if they, Douglas Lang, plan on releasing any Strathairn picks mm-hmm. stateside? Mm-hmm. I snagged a single cask bottling from Robertson's of Pitlochry earlier in the year, mm-hmm. but that was extreme luck. And then in parentheses, he says, 
cask number four, distilled October 2013. So probably from the very first or second run, if you can believe that. He then continues, and as mentioned in the pod, it'd be nice to compare to other subsequent official bottlings or distillery releases. This pod did explain why it was only one of 74 50cl bottles. Those casks must be tiny. Yeah, they're small. Okay, and then Cara, once she received the question, wrote back immediately. Um, Even very late uh, in a Scottish evening, uh, (laughs) she wrote back to say... Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she continues, We can't wait to be able to have Strathairn become a truly global whiskey player. Mm. The US is high on our priority list, but the stock we inherited when we bought Strathairn is only 70 CL. So, ready bottled, already removed from wood, sitting in in individual 70CL glass bottles. Oh, interesting. See, when I read that, I assumed when she talked about inventory being 70CL, I assumed the glass that they had, not that it had been in bottle already. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, all we have is inherited, so take it however you will. Without wishing to be pushy, which is such a a beautifully Scottish position, without wishing to be pushy, douglaslang.com ships to some US states and stocks Strathairn. Once we roll out the first release of single malt Mm -hmm. under Douglas Lang, we'll absolutely be catering for US whiskey enthusiasts with a 75CL offering. There you go. She says, cheers, and hope this answers the question, Cara. Beautiful, beautiful. How wonderful. I really appreciated her coming back to us so quickly to answer Kyle's question. Yeah, that, that was pretty great. Okay, I, I have one last one for us. And this one is, is a follow-up to an email that Dan Grison had sent previously. So if, mm-hmm. if you recall, and, and if our listeners uh, recall, uh, after our interview with, with the, the wonderful Will Oldham, a.k.a. Bonnie Prince Billy, where we talked about how we consume music, right? And we talked about, uh, you know, let's go back to records. Let's, let's consume music that way. And Dan had spoken with his daughter about it, and, and she was very interested in into getting into music in a different way. He talked about making it a plan to go to the record store, and and Dan had followed up. I remember. Yep. So Dan had followed up uh, with an email that says, a trip to the record store. So he says, hey guys, uh, since it was your show that inspired this trip, I wanted to share with you some of the events from my visit to the record store with my daughter. I was equal parts nervous and excited for the visit, excited to watch her explore new music and nervous that 
she just wouldn't like anything, crushing my dreams. <laughs> Kids are good uh, for that. And, and, <laughs> and then, of course, as everyone expects, he typed LOL after that. <laughs> he, goes, he goes on and says, when I arrived and I introduced my daughter to the shop owner, I told him what we were looking for. Truth be told, I had given him a little heads up, so he was ready. But I gave him no... Oh, nice. Yeah, which is... That was very nice. Yeah, good preparation. But I gave him no directions to follow other than just open her eyes and ears to different things. He played along and asked her a few questions about what she listens to and what she likes. It was clear that she likes pop and what he called danceable music. He played a lot, <laughs> and I mean a lot of stuff for her. He went back to Motown. He played the Beatles and even some Elvis, some rock, a little disco, some techno, and even a little jazz. Some she liked, most was okay, and some just wasn't her stuff. To be honest, I wasn't sure this was working. She was having fun, but I didn't see the light go on. And I love that line. Way to be a dad, right? <laughs> <laughs> but right, but here, here is something that I would look for as well, and I love this line. He said, she was having fun, but I didn't see the light go on. We all know what that is, right? There's that. Sometimes when we interview a guest, we say, what was that whiskey spark? What was that spark mm -hmm. for you? There's a spark in music, and that's what he was looking for. Anyway, Dan continues. Then he played the album she took home, Michael Jackson's Off the Wall. Love it. Oh, yeah. yeah wow. Right? Great. There you great go. Great album. She loved it. I was thrilled because it was one of my favorites, too. His best album, in my opinion. Of course, it's the king of pop that she ends up with. I think all along, Andy, that's, that's the shop owner's name, Andy knew she would like it and had a lot of fun taking her down a history of music. He even showed her today's art, how today's artists are influenced by Michael Jackson. Something about that clicked with her. She just seemed to get it at that point. Suddenly, Dad's old boring noise made sense to her. And what did we talk about with Will? You're not going to get that level of input from your latest device, right? You're not going to get that from you know, an online sales portal, mm. right? That's a human being in the flesh explaining, you know, one little corner of the music world. Yeah. That's really yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. There's a bit more to the email, but, but I want to, I just want to add one little bit is that she also went home with uh, Blondie's Auto American album. Wow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> wow, talk about the kids liking the things that you know. Wow, Blondie and Michael Jackson. Now I'm ten all over again, twelve all over <laughs> I know. again. Oh, it's so Holy great. Moly. I I I love that. And, and just to echo what Dan is saying, you know, my father-in-law recently came by with a bunch of Haida's old records and Haida's brother's old records, and we got a new record player and. Mimi is definitely interested in exploring albums, and of course I have my collection. We haven't actually sat down to listen, but there's interest there, and that's that has me excited. That's really cool. Yeah. Really cool. Well, be, before we, we finally pivot to our lovely conversation with Stephanie McLeod, 
just want to take a moment to recognize our our dear friends in New Zealand. Hmm. Uh, just just to say, you and I, Joshua, and One Nation Under Whiskey, is among the top fifty food podcasts in New Zealand. That is pretty great, and within the top twenty five food po- we're close, podcasts, we're twenty six, twenty six, twenty six in, in in Israel. Eretz Yisrael. In Israel. Lachaim. Slange and Lachaim. Speaking of New Zealand. Which I was. We received a letter in the mail, a card in the mail, which I want to read after our interview with Stephanie. We also got an email from someone, which I love the title, and I'll just tease everybody with this title, (laughs) uh, where the title of the email simply... Suggestion and praise. Oh, interesting. Uh, Suggest. See, because normally suggestion, are we really listening to that? Praise, you have our attention. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yep. That 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 <laughs> listener is a very smart listener. So so we'll read the the card <laughs> a bit later, and we'll also read this this letter, which is or this email, which is titled Suggestion and Praise. And by the way. The praise has three exclamation points afterwards. Oh, well, I, I am sorry. They should see a doctor about that. Because that's, that's the indication of a syphilitic mind. Am I right? That is it. Yeah. That is it. If, if your punctuation lasts longer than three exclamation points, see a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jason, take us in. Talk to us about Stephanie McLeod. Immediately. We're going to give props to our dear friend, Holly Sidewand. Mm -hmm. Holly, after we spent wonderful time with her in New York City before the end times, I think Mm -hmm. we've said this before, she was one of our very last in-person interviews before everything really went bananas. And boy, did we have in-person interview plans for for the second quarter of the year, but uh, those did not come to fruition. And so we, we had a wonderful conversation with Holly, talked about her work, and we even pivoted back to Holly when we did our, our early COVID episode. Right. And we started asking some dear friends, what what has COVID you know, done with your work? Uh, how are you working around these lockdowns? And, and Holly was in that episode as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was just looking back at our records here. The Holly episode was season four, episode three, and then the post the the sort of post COVID thing was season four, episode seven. So, just a few episodes yep. between. Yep. Very quick, very quick turnaround on that one. And so it was Holly who was saying, "Yeah, I really appreciate you talking to me and and." You know, we obviously thoroughly enjoy hanging out with Holly, but she said, make sure you talk to Stephanie McLeod. Mm. You guys would love talking to Stephanie McLeod. And in talking to Stephanie McLeod, you'll be talking to the master blender for Bacardi, Mm. writ large. And as we will unpack in this interview, that's a lot of brands. (laughs) That's that's a, a lot of blending going on there. And, and and clearly a series of different points 
to which blends reach, mm. and 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 there's a there's an unpacking of that that is that is well worth our time. One thing that you know, I know we've got very careful listeners listening to One Nation Under Whiskey, and so I'll just pop a, up a signpost here: texture, mouthfeel, mm. and please, and I know you will. Listen so carefully for a word that Stephanie uses very comfortably that we do pause her for a moment to unpack. We Not do. immediately, yep. but the more she uses it, the more we take a moment to unpack it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. please keep your keep your ears open for that word. It will be unmistakable. This is not a trick. Uh, a, a trick set up here. You will know the word the first time she says uh-huh. it. I'm sure many of you are already thinking of a word, and now you're you're listening for it coming out of Stephanie's mouth. Yep, yep. And, and the word it's it's not leper colony, right? That's not the because that's two words. That's two words. Yep. That's two words. Okay. Yep. yep. Two good. words. Good. 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 Uh, what What about you? Those are Those are my signposts. Do you have a, a signpost? Do you have a, a memory coming coming out of this wonderful, wonderful conversation? Yeah. You, you know, I found it interesting. You know, this is this is a person who blends for blends, but also blends for single malt, and I was really interested to hear what connections, if any, there were between blending and the two different styles. And I, and I, re, I enjoyed that answer. I enjoyed hearing her approach. And I, I don't want to give, give away the ghost, as, as the kids say, but I, I thought it was a cool part of the conversation. Yeah. Yep. Final thing I'll say before we, we turn the floor over to ourselves interviewing Stephanie McLeod over Zoom is that she was incredibly gracious with her time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and she was I thought delightfully accessible yeah and was was more than happy to take our questions was more than happy to be open about her process was more than happy to even you know Talk about taking whiskey home for her husband to taste yeah. and for him to become part of a an informal tasting panel, um, which is something we've we've heard from uh, Jane Bowie at Maker's Mark. And I always have a fear when we talk to to a big name person who works for a big name within the industry that maybe you're not getting the whole story because they can't tell the whole story for whatever the reason, you know, insert reason here. But but I agree, she was incredibly accessible and no question seemed to be off the table with her. She was an open book and, and that is such, it's been a, a, a breath of fresh air whenever we have these conversations and we get that nervous little twinge or we're not going to get the whole thing, but they open up to us. And it's, it's just been great. And here comes that conversation, Joshua. Firstly, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. We, you know, we, I, both Jason and I have known Holly uh, 
a side one for for some years. And we interviewed her in February of this year before, you know, before the world ended in person, in a pub, over whiskey. The bar owner came over and said, oh, you know, I have this bottle of Port Ellen and he's sharing that and we're nosing one another's glasses. Like, like it was almost as if things were normal. Was that 10 years ago? Right, it almost feels it. It almost feels it. And uh, but you know, your name had come up a couple times during the conversation. Yeah. And uh, we said, "Oh my gosh!" You know, and I'll be very honest with you. I had not. I had heard your name before. Yeah. But but that's it. I only had heard your name before, and it wasn't until we had a conversation with, with Holly. Uh, about you, and we said, "Oh my gosh, we we really need to speak with Stephanie." And, and you know, here we are, ten years later, and we're we're finally we're finally speaking with you. <laughs> so I we're know. all a little grayer. <laughs> so yeah. Your your role is to look after your five single malt distilleries. Am I am I correct in that? Um. I, that's true. I look after the, the five single malt distilleries, the, the spirit that comes from it. So I'm not the distilleries manager. That, that's a separate role altogether. So my mm-hmm. role is, is master blender and, and malt master. So I look after the, the whole of the Dewar's blended portfolio and the single malts portfolio. So it's it in some ways it, it's quite unusual now. You know, way back that that wasn't unusual for for the blender to look after everything. But now we kind of um, a lot of whiskey companies have have blenders for their blends and blenders for their malts. But for the time being, I'm doing I'm doing everything. Do you do you think? Right. If, if that was the tradition where you had a blender for blends and a blender for malts, do you think back when that was a bit more of the norm that there may have been a, a disconnect in the brands? Do you think it's, it's better having one person blend for the blends and blend for the malts? Um, well, certainly, you know, you know traditionally um, you would have just had one, one blender and you know that blender which is what I'm doing is is looking after is looking after everything and and I guess that way it gives you an overview of of everything but if you have a a blender for the blends and a blender for the malts then it, it it gives you more time actually to focus on on more projects um, so there, there's a definite benefit to to having a kind of single focus, and especially with with our single malt portfolio, we have this range called the exceptional cask range, mm-hmm. and that's where we do some, you know, lots of sampling. So you know, we have hundreds of samples um, that that we get from our warehouses. <laughs> And, you know, I've got the terrible, terrible job of having to nose every single one of these samples. Um, but also what we do is we, we, we source different types of wine casks, fortified wine casks, and, and put them into these casks and then, and then chart their progress. So if you've got someone that, that's just focused on that, then that, that's a great situation to be in. Hmm. 
But for the moment, yeah, I, I, I do everything. I have a team, though. You know, it's not just me that does it. <laughs> I like the resignation in your voice there. Yeah, yeah. I do it all. Yeah, I, do I do it, it all. all. I make the tea. I sweep the floors. <laughs> How did you know that? Yeah, no, I no, I do, I do I have, I do have um, you know, lots of people that, that, that help me. and But, you know, we, we are looking at, you know, bringing more people on. Um, so that so that we've got lots of eyes and and lots of brain cells mm. um, working on on all the the projects that that we want to work on. So how many we we all, we've been talking a lot about the the five single malt distilleries. How many blends are you responsible for? So the, our biggest one is White Label. It, it was our first blend as as a company as a Dewar's company. But now we have 12, we have 15, we have 18-year-old. We have a new range of Dewar's 8. And each one of these we've put into a different type of cask. So we had the, the Caribbean Smooth Dewar's 8-year-old, Illegal Smooth. So that was a first mm -hmm. for Scotch whiskey. I saw that. Putting it uh -huh. into to mezcal casks. Previously uh -huh. it wasn't allowed. And we've got other ones in the pipeline. So we've, we've, we're just releasing, I think I'm allowed to say, Portuguese Smooth, um, which mm. is Dura's 8 finished in port casks, which has turned out really nicely. Um, we've got another one to come, which I'm not allowed to talk about. So then we had the double, okay. double range. Mm -hmm. So that is the, the 21, the 27 and the 32. And each one of these represents a different facet of the Dewar's House style. So the 21 is finished in Oloroso, the 27 in Palo Cotardo, and the 32-year-old is finished in Pedro Jimenez. Um, oh, interesting. Yes. Interesting. How did you find the Palo Cotardo? So yeah, I'd never really used Palo Cotardo that much in the past and I wanted to use it because of that, <laughs> because this double-double mm. range was something that we'd never really done before and I wanted to, to make, it, make it different. And obviously the Palo Cotardo is, is, is a sherry that it, it really shouldn't be there. Um, it, it's mm -hmm. kind of, you know, something hasn't quite gone right in the process and so it turns into the, the Palo Cotardo. So, um, so it's got this lovely richness, but it's also got that fresh citrusy note to it as well, which I thought worked really well with the 27-year-old blend. Mm -hmm. And actually, we, we liked it so much that we also use it for the new Royal Brackler range. Um, the the eighteen year old is is also finished in the the Palo Catardo, so it's mm. it's it's light in colour, so it's not as dark as Oloroso or Pedro Jimenez, which oh, kind of throws okay. people off because the twenty one is dark, twenty seven is lighter, and then you've got the really dark uh, Pedro sure. Jimenez. So yeah. I I do like working with it, but you're never quite sure what is going to happen with it. And I think that's part of its attraction as well for me. Wow. That's, so. That was unexpected. I, I didn't expect to hear that sherry come out of you today. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, we also have um, the Dewar's 25-year-old. So that was previously known as Dewar's Signature. And then we put an age statement on it, made it uh, Dewar's 25-year-old. And we've got, you know, more plans and expressions in the pipeline. So... Mm. Yeah, there's 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 a lot going on at yours at the moment. <laughs> you know, yeah, and there's a lot of established ages there. Yeah, that's yes. the that's the remarkable thing. Hearing some of those numbers. Yes. Um, it, it's not a it's not an eight, twelve, and fifteen range. It really goes way beyond that. Yes. Is is there a reason for having that quantity of of age stock? Or was, it, was it always in the plans? You know, there's always the, you know, each year we receive a forecast from our markets and and we lay down stock in order to achieve those forecasts, not just in five years time, but 10 years time, 50 years time. But yes, there's a lot of products that we're bringing out now that we didn't know about, you know, even two years ago. And so, you know, we are, you know, each year we are looking at our stock and seeing where there's potential. So perhaps a product 12 years ago that we had high hopes for didn't didn't make it for some reason. And so we've got that stock as being a surplus stock. And then we can we can do something interesting with it because the, 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 the whiskey market is constantly evolving and and things that people love now they didn't even know about, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Sure. So um, so that's, you know, really why I, I, I love working in whiskey because it's constantly evolving and it's constantly being influenced by the world around it as well. So, so yes. Hopefully for good. For good, yes. Given what we've discussed yeah. about 2020. Yeah, we're not going to have a COVID style um, whiskey. That's, <laughs> that's not in the plans. Mature, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Oh, what a horrific thought. <laughs> it's a horrific thought. Um, I, I, I definitely want to, to talk about single malts in a bit, but, you know, I want to say maybe two, three months ago or so. And again, time doesn't work anymore, so I, I may have this this timeline not accurate. But we had a conversation with Kirsty McCallum, who joined Glenn Murray and yeah. and was also given the charge to be the master blender for Cuddy Sark. Yeah. Right? An incredibly iconic blend, which, yeah. you know, if I were the person in charge of of designing the flavors for such an iconic blend, I think I would just crawl into a corner shivering under the, you know, the, the weight of it. And so, you know, for you, I, I, I can't think of more, any more iconic blends than, than Jewers, than Chivas Regal, than Cuddy Sark, than, than, you know, Johnny Walker. So, so for you as someone who's in charge of Dewar's, is there this pressure? Do you do you have a hyper focus on it, or maybe you did at the beginning and now it's more? Uh, I don't even know the words I'm trying to think. Here. Yeah, when I was, you know, asked if I wanted to become or trained to become the the Dewar's Master Blender, which was back mm. in 2003, you know, I did think, gosh, are you sure? You know, me. Uh, taking on that that role, um, 
And yes, I did feel the, the incredible weight of responsibility on my shoulders sure. that, you know, am I up to this task? And But, you know, for, for all of our, our blends, you know, we, we have recipes. And so, you know, our, re our, our inventory is broken down into, into different categories. And for each of these categories, we have a whole raft of of different whiskies that fit into that category that we can choose from when we're making up our blends. And it's not just based on the make, but also on the, the wood profile. Mm. So I was talking earlier about the forecasts that we get in from our markets. And on the basis sure. of those um, forecasts, we then know how much whiskey we have to distill and how much we have to put into each different type of cask that we use in our in our recipes and mm. so it's almost like a, a Rubik's Cube you know you you manage to satisfy the makes and then you realize ah oh, wait a minute there's a gap in the in the wood profile and you have to go away and rejig it all again so so it, it's it, it's a complicated um blend to put together Again, I'm not alone in this. Um, you know, I have um, a team who who work with the the blends and put them together in the blend warrant um, according to our, our recipes. So it's not like you're just having to sort of make up a recipe, a new recipe yeah. every day, or you know, we we have a recipe that that we work to, and and so. The important thing, though, is that we're hitting the flavour profile every time. So mm. when we create a new blend, you know, the newly created blend comes to me and the, the sensory panel as well. And we knows it just to ensure that, that everything is is OK and that there's nothing about it that's got any you know, off notes or or anything that, that's out of balance um, with with the standard blend. Usually when I think of blends, you know, if I, if I want to do the investigative work, you know, what's in Jewers, you know, how many distilleries in this one, how many distilleries in that one? Yeah. But that question aside, because I, I don't necessarily want to ask that question, not at least not right now, <laughs> but, you know, uh, a separate job that I do, I'm, I'm a national sales director for an import company here in the U.S. We import Kilhoman and... Pandaren and a few other brands. Yeah. And now these are small producers. And so for their core products, they're marrying maybe 60 casks together. And that's their mm. first batch. Maybe they'll do 70 this time. And that's batch number two. When it comes to putting together a batch of Jewers white label, how many casks are you dealing with it at one time for a batch? Like how big does this project get? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on on you know what we're due to bottle that week but i mean it, it can be you know hundreds of casks that that we're dealing with um and and that i know that sounds daunting but that actually makes it makes it easier for a consistency mm. point of view um so when you're dealing with a small batch so for example the the double double range mm -hmm. so each and every one of those casks that goes into those small batches has to be nosed um, because if there's just one cask there that, that's not quite right, then that can ruin the whole batch. Sure. 
Um, so, so it's really important that you know you you absolutely focus on you know every little detail of those. Whereas for for white label, there's there's many many different types of casks, and <clears throat> so you know if there's something that's you know maybe fruitier in one cask, that will be um, ironed out with with all the rest of the casks alongside it because it's only a small it's such a small part of yeah, the so overall yes so it's one blend. barrel amongst yeah. hundreds of of different casks so it makes it so we still though knows every single blend that's made and sometimes you know we have to rework a blend because something hasn't isn't quite right but it is unusual to find that in in a blend the size of of white label and and even Dures 12 as well actually because because those are, are are big blends another thing that we do with our blends is that we we call it double aging mm -hmm. and what that means is that we take the blend and then we put it back into oak casks and and what that does is allows these disparate flavor profiles to to come together um, and it just gives them that bit of time to interact with one another to smooth out each other's you know rough edges and and just give it that kind of harmony and we can't prove this scientifically but certainly on the palate and on the nose we do detect a heightened um, perception of smoothness between the, the single-aged jewers, the, the, you know, the freshly blended jewers, white label, and, mm. and the double-aged. So the, the, the name that we would traditionally use in the whiskey industry is marrying. So yeah. you know, bringing mm -hmm. two different personalities together and giving this harmonious union that is marriage. But um, our brand people decided to, to rename that and call it double aging. So, so hmm. uh, let me just, uh, Jason, I know you have a question. I, I just, I want to close <laughs> this you. out. Uh, I'm not, not trying to step over you. <laughs> so, I'm letting you do your work. <laughs> thank you, Jason, you're very kind. So when you're putting the, the blends back into cask, are, are these just knackered casks that you use over and over again? Or are you purposely looking for first fill, second fill? Like, I, I don't mean to use the word knackered, but... Yes, do you see my, my face? My, <laughs> yeah, my, my point is, does, does the vessel matter so much as just a marrying period? Right? Yeah. And, and if it does matter... What are you doing? Are you going with first fill? Are you going with second fill? Do you, or are you yeah. even able to talk about that? Well, we are, we don't use the word knackered, but we do. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> not on any, it's not on any of the labels, is it? But and then finished, double matured, but a period knackered casks. But we do use the terms um, casks with little maturation potential. <laughs> okay. That's that's, that's so, better. So More yeah, we're not looking better, for wood influence, but we mm. are. It's important to us that it it does go back into an oak cast because we're still looking for the interaction that we get in in an oak casks. So mm. in an oak cast, with so the interaction between the outside environment and the inside. So that's still that push and pull through through the wood. 
is important uh, to us. So you can you yeah. can marry in stainless steel, but double aging gives us a sense that it's it's not marrying in stainless steel. It's marrying in oak and and double aging mm -hmm. kind of gives that sense that it you know it we do put it back into oak casts and it is still maturing, but we're not we're not wanting any of the cask influence to come through because that has been done during its maturation process the first time. Correct. But you're benefiting from that cask still breathing. It's still doing yes. this rounding out of the flavors, this, this marrying of the flavors a bit more. Okay, that, that yeah. makes sense. I'll try to extract the word knacker, but I mean, just leave it in there for fun. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so actually, speaking of words, uh, regular listeners of the, the podcast know that, that a word that we can always needle Joshua with Jeez. is the word smooth. And so mm. there, there are other people in the whiskey world who are smooth. It's it's often used as a get a jail free card or it's used at tastings when people are tasting and they don't really have much to say and they say, oh, that's smooth. Yes. Clearly with the work that you're putting in and the blending that you're doing, smooth means something here. It, I, I don't think it's just a marketing word. Can you explain for us a, a little more what you mean by smooth here? Well, you know, smooth is is very important. So age statements, smoothness, or, or the pursuit of smoothness is, mm. is something that, that we strive for. And I absolutely get your point, Joshua, about um, you know, smoothness and, and it's you know a word that everybody uses, but mm. does anybody actually know what it what it means? Mm. And and for me, smoothness, it's not a flavour, but it is a mouthfeel. And it, sure. it, and indeed, it's not just a mouthfeel, but when you nose a sample and it's, it's not smooth, you definitely can pick that up in the nose. Yeah. And indeed, when it is smooth, you can pick it up in the nose. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, you can't say it's smooth because it tastes of X, Y and Z. It's, I use the analogy of, of chocolate, actually. So when you have cheap chocolate and you put it in your mouth, it feels all gritty and it kind of doesn't dissolve evenly in the palate and it just leaves a kind of horrible chalky kind of feeling yes. in the palate. But with expensive mm -hmm. chocolate, you know, it, it melts evenly, it coats the palate beautifully. And, you know, it, it just has this uniformity and, and, you know, it's integrated. And that's exactly the same with whiskey. And I think that's also why chocolate and whiskey actually goes so well together. Um, <clears throat> you know, I would never have dreamt of, of pairing um, chocolate with whiskey, but they, they do really, they do work well together. And, and I Absolutely. think it's because they kind of have this even melting on the palate. And so that, that's what I mean by smoothness. So again, it, it's, okay. we actually asked um, the Scotch Whiskey Research Institute to look into this, you know, you know can, we, 
can we measure smoothness? Is there something about whiskey in its structure that that can inform us how smooth a whiskey is going to be without nosing it? And no, they, they drew a blank. Yeah. But you know <laughs> Really? I know. <laughs> That's but, a shame. I know. But perhaps as, you know, instrumentation improves, maybe that is something that we can try and pinpoint in the future. But for the moment, it well, remains elusive and only detected on the palate. Well, and it certainly strikes me, one of the things we've, we've talked about for a long time is as, as independent bottlers and people making cast selections, we are, you know, we're not focused on colour as much as we're focused on texture. Yeah. And so we really are texture guys. Mm -hmm. We're especially yeah. bottling at cask strength. We're looking for some protection from that ethanol attack. Yes. And so those those oils, those lipids, those fats are all essential and clearly play a, a role in how we feel that whiskey mm. going across our palates. But we have also talked about nose texture. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, we've been laughed out of rooms. Um, and it's actually our, our good friends at Westland up in Seattle. Yeah. Nose texture is part of their criteria yeah. for cask selection as well. Very much And so, so hearing you talk about it today is, again, vindication. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm twice over vindicated by you. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a part that I wanted to bring us back to was talking about the sensory mm. Mm. and and one of the questions we were always getting and we actually had a, a listener write in send an email a couple of episodes ago or a few episodes ago neither of us know how time works anymore <laughs> but they, they were saying at, at what point do you hit palate fatigue how do you protect yourself against palate fatigue and then are you also doing the dilution down to 20% or, or, or some number thereabouts. Yeah. Uh, talk us through how you do your, your, sensory, um, your sensory tests of your casks. Well, when I'm in the lab, in, in my nosing room, I really only nose, um, especially when it's samples that I, I know. So the new make spirit samples, um, those are all diluted down to 20% and I, I don't generally taste them unless there's something about it that I think I maybe need to. And the nose recovers much more quickly than the palate. Sure. And so that's yeah. why there's a great benefit to just nosing samples rather than tasting, nosing and tasting. You know, I, I think I could maybe only taste about maybe, well, it really depends what it, what it is, but I could maybe only taste about five and then I would really start to, you know, need to take, you know, either water or yeah. a cracker mm -hmm. or something like that. Whereas your nose, just take a few deep breaths and launch back in again. Yep. And, That's but right. what I always do is, is maybe do the grains first and then the lighter bodied, heavy bodied, and then save the, the Isla whiskies to the very end. Because if you nose those sure. first, you, you just, you give up. <laughs> it's time to go home. Um, so, you know, because those are, are so powerful. 
so that's the way I like to do it, just going through green and then and working my, my way up to the, the end, and, you know, if there's a, an isla to be done at the end. And, and when you were saying tasting five before you, know, you experienced the beginnings of palate fatigue, what strength would those five be at? Or is that five at cast strength or 40 or even at 20, you would still find the palate getting shot reasonably quickly? Yeah, I, I think even at 20, you know, okay. it, it's, it's still... Um, I, I don't trust my palate as much as I do my nose when it because mm. I do think that on the palate there's much more of a tendency for an aftertaste to really linger and so when you take another sample you don't know whether you're tasting the true sample on its own or if it's still interacting with you know the aftertaste from the last sample so that's why I really sure. think that it's important to nose more than, than tasting. Well, and it's certainly interesting because as we are talking about the value of those oils uh, and lipids and, and fats coming across, we do talk about the layering of that. So if you're sitting with one dram, the layering of that is part of the wonderful experience of, of drinking really good whiskey. It seems like, as you're saying, it might go against the experience as you're selecting. It does get in there and it doesn't leave that quickly. Yes, so, so That's it, it's, it's much, it, it's quicker to nose all the samples that you've got to nose from a, from a quality control point of view. But, you mm -hmm. know, when I'm developing a new blend or, or really wanting to do, so I, I do something, you know, so it's all very well nosing things in the blending room, but obviously it's, it's people that, that buy whiskey and they're not going to be drinking it in a blending room, I don't think. They're going to be sitting at home, um, hopefully, in a, or in a pub, um, in a relaxed frame of mind, um, and they've maybe eaten something. And so the kind of, the, the real kind of test for a sample is, or a new blend is, I take it home and, you know, and, you know, my husband, you know, selflessly says, okay, if you're going to force me, I'll, I'll try it. Okay. Um, yeah. Not all heroes wear capes. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you said that as well. Um, <laughs> and so I think it's this kind of fireside test, you know, and that kind of brings out, oh, maybe it could be a bit sweeter or maybe, you know, could it be more interesting? So that, that's a, a kind of another test that I will do just to make sure. And sometimes, you know, I'll say to colleagues, Can you take this home, try it out and let me know what you think. Because you, you do get a different experience when you're, when you're trying it out at, at home. Yeah, 100%. You know, when, when we're selecting casks, for single cast nation, of course, you know, we're, we're up early, we have a coffee, maybe we've eaten a little bit, probably not, and, and, and we're selecting casks. Yeah. But part of the process too is end your day with those samples, right? You, you've had breakfast, you've had lunch, you've had tea and coffee and, 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 and all sorts of other, other things. Is that whiskey still good and enjoyable 
at the end of the day after your palate has had a bit of a pounding from all from everything you've done. Yeah. And that is that's your final test right there. Yeah. yeah. And and I think also the pH of your palate prior mm. to you tasting a whiskey can have mm. a real and it's something I haven't really looked into. But I do think that there is something about that, you know, that it, you know, whatever the pH of your palate is just before you take a sip of whiskey, I think can have quite a profound effect on on your perception of the whiskey. And I think sometimes that's why, you know, when you're abroad and you try a wine or a kind of local, you know, liqueur or something like that, you think that tastes absolutely delicious. I must <laughs> yeah. buy that bottle and take it home. Uh-huh. And then you try it at home and you're like, it's not quite as good as I I remembered, and <laughs> and I do think there's maybe yep. you're eating different things. Maybe the sun isn't shining quite as brightly as it was when you first tried it. So I do think there is, but, you know, environmental factors going on. Well, and you even just said it a moment ago about being relaxed in a pub or relaxed yes. by the fireside. How relaxed are we on vacation? Exactly. You know, you're, you're so welcoming of these experiences. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it seems to be a part of it. Mm. It's so interesting. Yeah. I've always attributed that experience, right, of things tasting better in the country of origin. Yes. Uh, I've always attributed that to just the romance of, of being abroad, of being on, on holiday and, yeah. and nothing else. And I hadn't even thought that there may also be another type of science yeah. involved that the food yeah. you're eating. I think there's actually a term in psychology that refers to this effect. And I guess if any of your listeners are okay with that kind of thing, they might want to let you know. Um, I'm sure that I would love to hear yeah, it. Yeah, I'm sure there is there is an effect where they talk about that that something doesn't taste quite as good when you take it out of its environment. And, mm. But well, we've well, we've we've certainly said that we've you know there's there's a lot of romance around the selection of single casks where you're crawling across you know casks and warehouses and finding hidden gems. Yeah, and and we tell we tell our people all the time we never select from warehouse tasting yeah. because everything tastes wonderful in a warehouse. Yeah. You know, because you're standing in a bloody warehouse. It's freezing cold. <laughs> in Scotland or, or wherever, <laughs> yeah, exactly. right? Right, right. A, A, it's not giving you the very best, but B, the setting couldn't be more wonderful. Yeah. And so we do always, you know, you, you have a nosing room, you're, you're looking at my nosing room here. Yeah. Um, but we, we bring them back to the office we taste them in the same consistent manner yeah. and we try to separate it from the romance mm-hmm. of, of being in the warehouse, which is so compelling. But yeah, when you can't feel your toes, yeah. you're probably better off not selecting whiskey at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Although it does, it does warm your heart though when you see a sample and you think, oh, that looks amazing. So, so that, that mm-hmm. does warm you up slightly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That it does. Mm-hmm. That it does. Yeah. Not color, guys, but if something ruby red comes our way, yeah. it's going to taste delicious. Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> I, I wanted to, if, if, if you wouldn't mind, I wanted to transition over into the world of single malts. Yeah. But if we can segue by, by way of single cask 
single mm-hmm. malts. So this was one that um, Holly Holly had brought, you know, when we had our interview with her. Yeah. And this is uh, Krigeliki single cask. It's 19 years old from uh, Sherry Butt. Mm. 55.2% alcohol for the U.S. market. I remember tasting this and, and thinking, because I always have this in the back of my head, is this potentially my whiskey of the year? Right? Oh, I wow. Just, yeah, I, I absolutely fell in love with this cask, and, and we told Holly at the end, how, how can we get this? And she said, oh, I'll find places for you. I'll, I'll hook you up. And, and, and between her and some of our own investigation, we got a few bottles. Ah, and I've, I've been waiting until this conversation to open my bottle. So I've been ah. sitting on this for a little while. And when we heard rumor that we may be talking with you, I said, well, there's no better person to open this with than, than the person who selected this cask, who, who, who thought it was good enough to, to go and bottle. And so can you talk to us a little bit of, you know, Krigeliki is, is one of your single malt distilleries. Can you talk to us a little bit of the, and this may be a, a bit of a weird one, I, I would say general style of Krigeliki However, I find the style mm. of Krigeliki, you almost can't, you know, it's like, it's, it's like you're at Hogwarts trying to catch the golden snitch. It, it's not so easy to catch yeah. because the flavor profile can kind of run the gamut. Can you talk mm. about Krigeliki yeah. and what's happening there? Yeah, so as a new make spirit, Krigeliki is quite a challenge because it is very, we call it, muscular in character but it's got this sulfury meaty character as as a new make spirit but what this is actually hiding this sulfury note is actually hiding an abundance of 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 esters so an abundance of of fruity character so the kind of ripe bananas and 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 pineapple aromas mm. that, that we can't detect on the nose, but when we put it through a gas chromatograph, a GC, we can see all of these, as we call them, fatty acid ethyl esters, and these are in abundance at Krigeliki. So when we put it into, into oak casks and it starts to mature and, you know, the there's a, the, the kind of three main reactions that go on, the, so the additive, the subtractive, and the interactive um, reactions that are going on. So the subtractive are, are taking out the, the sulfur aromas, making them less dominant. And so after, you know, our, our entry-level Krigeliki is 13-year-old, after this time, the, the, the sulfury notes start to subside, are more muted, but what then comes to the fore is all these fruity aromas that had been previously hidden by the more dominant sulfury aromas. Right. And as it gets older, these fruity notes really intensify. Hmm. And to the extent when I first started off, you know, as blender, and I was doing a kind of audit of our Krigeliki stocks. And I hadn't really paid much attention to Krigeliki because then it wasn't a single malt for us or a big single malt. Sure. But mm-hmm. I was always really just focusing on the new make spirit. 
But I kept coming up with this pineapple aroma. And I actually thought I was going crazy. And <laughs> and I eventually said, I said, are you getting pineapple? Or No, I, I, what I said to them was, what are you getting from this whiskey? And somebody said, oh, um, it's like it's like pineapple chunks and syrup. I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I'm not going mad. It was, it was like... <laughs> Validation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're all searching for it. And uh, and and that is actually, you know, one of its kind of, you know, the, the joys of Kriegeliki is that it starts off, you know, quite unpromising as a new make spirit. You know, sulfury, quite mm. challenging. But as you know, it, it really shows off the importance of maturation because it just develops and become so interesting with, you know, I describe 13 year old as being bonfire night. So it has these kind of really fruity and um, sort of marshmallow aromas, but with that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, the smell of cordite sort of lingering in the air, you know, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when a firework goes off. Um, and, and that for me kind of, you know, sums up Craig Ellicke. Um, so we've got all these lovely, rich flavours that, that come through and it's just such a succulent whisky and it, it's always a joy um, sampling casks for the exceptional cask range with Kriegeliki because, you know, you're, you're never quite sure what you're going to find, um, we, what has the cask done to this particular uh, batch of, of whiskey so, so yeah so I have I have so many Kregeliki questions for you but I'll try to <laughs> distill it down to a couple Ooh, so I see what you did got, there Jason <laughs> thank you pro move thank you I've got I've, I've, got, I've got a very dear friend in Moscow Idaho named Jim Heidelberger and I'm giving them the name call mm-hmm. because he will be listening to this <laughs> and he introduced me to Kregeliki, yeah. where he, he he has the most single casks of Kregeliki of anybody I know, and he buys them from all over the place. Really? He is a hundred percent committed to Kregeliki, and every Kregeliki that we bottle for Single Cast Nation is in honor of of Moscow Jim, is what mm-hmm. we call him. So, <laughs> um, and so the first Kregeliki he introduced me to was an AD Rattray mm. eight-year-old single cask that tasted like strawberries and cream. Like, I've never had a Kregeliki like it. And I've, I've now tasted a lot of Kregelikis. How often do you encounter, as we're talking about it, really grows into itself. How often have you found younger Kregeliki with a strawberries and cream component? <laughs> I can reliably tell you, never. <laughs> Right, it's wacky. It's completely wacky. I, I was. I even wonder if if they maybe if Ad Rattray maybe got it younger and put it into some wood, and it's the wood that's coming through more than the Kregel. I, I think through. I have an explanation for it though. Um, oh, fantastic! So when um, Kregeliki goes on silent season, that is generally the time when the stills are cleaned and the the worms are cleaned. So we use um, worm condensers and... This is the second part of my question. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you clean... So, so 
there is a, a film builds up on the copper um, and that prevents the, um, the interaction with the copper and so the, the sulphur is retained in the spirit. But when you mm. clean that, it then allows for the copper interaction and so the, the spirit momentarily and for maybe a space of a week or two becomes grassier in character. Mm. So that is a possible explanation for that strawberries and cream aroma being dominant mm. in that particular it cask. Takes, it only takes a, a week or two for that, that sulfury kick to come back in. Yeah, probably, oh. I'm maybe being generous, it may be two to three weeks and then we see sulfur okay. coming back again. Okay, so this is going to be perfect because I've, I've successfully confused myself over the years here. So we talk about Kregeliki condensing through the worms. That plays a role in the meatiness, the weightiness, the heaviness, some of that sulfury component yes. that we get in there and maybe with other worm tub whiskies. So we know from copper in distillation that it's removing purities, yes. right? So, so the copper plays a vital role in removal, in distillation, and then in condensing, it seems, even though it's passing through copper worms, it seems to be dirtying it back up again. Well, it's not, it's not particularly that it's dirtying it, it's just not removing. So there's still sulfur, um, so so the, the type of malty barley that we use has a high sulfur content in it. And so that is, is retained um, mm. after distillation, but it, it's not removed during the condensation process. So, so a worm tub, you know, the, the amount of copper that is there, you know, it's like a huge, you know, the, the, you've probably... I don't know if you've visited Kregeliki, but, you know, when you look into the... Joshua has. Yeah. I was doing it this year. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, so when you look at it, it's a huge amount of copper. So there's... there's if there is no film buildup, then there's a huge amount of copper for it to interact with. But when we have that film, it doesn't have that interaction. And so it passes through with all this mm. sulphur aroma still intact gotcha gotcha okay yeah for me it was that slow condensation that was building the oils you know and, and then am i right in saying the worm goes from from wide diameter at the beginning and to narrows, very narrow diameter yes. at the end yes so there's and so we always talk about that is there's more copper contact as the diameter you know shrinks yes. but then you're saying there's a film there yes. that it's not having as much copper yes. contact as as we've talked about it yes interesting so it's not removing the impurities during yes. condensation mm -hmm. wow or condensing wow yes thank you <laughs> you're okay welcome. but but then even you're 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 saying that there's a higher sulfur content in the barley yes i've I've literally never heard anybody talk about sulfur content in barley. Is that something people 
don't want to use the S word and so they don't associate it with it, it in any way, but Kregelicki's got more of a reputation. Kregelicki, for the, for the traditionally, S-word. that has always been the the grade of, of malty barley that we use. So we have our, our own mm. kiln and, and that's where this particular, um, you know, our specification of malt is made. Um, mm. And so we we don't want to to change that because that's that's part of of what Krugelicki is. So when we sure. when the Bacardi bought over the mm. distilleries from United Distillers and Vintners, that was grade of of sulphur, and so that's that's what we we continue to use. And it's it's an expensive grade, or it's more expensive a, a grade of of malted barley. Um, but but we still continue to use it because it's part of the character of the distillery. So the so makes the, sense. The sulfury compound is that coming? And I just want to make sure I'm understanding this properly. It, it's and, a build-up. It's it's not completely from the malted barley. Okay, um, and, and this is what I wanted to know here: yeah. is it is it in the is it in the drying process and the materials you're using? In the dry. drying, in the drying, in the kiln, in the yeah, the, yeah. It, it's not the whole story, but it's an important part of the story to have that particular uh, malted barley that that we use. But the worm tubs add to that, um, and and you know the the cut points that we use at the distillery as well. So if we were to run our distillery faster. Um, you, so you can run worm tubs as as if they're shell and tube condensers. You just have to run it through mm. more quickly. And okay. so okay. so we could produce a lighter style, even, you know, we'd have to t- clean everything out and then run it much more quickly. And we could produce a, a lighter style. We haven't tried it, but it is on my to-do list of things that I want to oh, do fun. at Kregeliki. One of the things I've enjoyed. And maybe we can. Sorry. Oh, go ahead, please, please. Yeah, I was saying then we can maybe recreate that strawberries and cream for Jason. <laughs> right. Uh, there you go. Um, <laughs> Moscow Jim's already sending you the money for that. <laughs> <laughs> if you get an email asking for your bank details, that's that's just Moscow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so one one of the things that fascinated me about this this whole segment where we're discussing Krigaliki is never once did you shy away from the word sulfur. In fact, yeah. you're embracing it, you're talking about it, you're talking about how it evolves in casks. And, and you know, I've, I always have a bottle of 13 on my shelf. I was looking for it just now, and I realized I, I put it downstairs because that's, you know, if and when we have people over again, that's sharing whiskey, right? And so, and so <laughs> sulfur is rarely, if ever, found at least not the farty kind of sulfur, right? <laughs> is rarely, if ever, found in Kregelke's bottlings. And even, no. and even in some of the bottlings that we've done where, you, you know, we've done, you know, 10 and, and younger Kregelke, the sulfur doesn't play a farty role. There's a vegetal quality. There's a heaviness. Yeah. But there's never, 
the meatiness. Yeah. Yes, yes. And yeah, oh, definitely. Yes, it, it is. It's the meaty quality um, that that we're looking for in the new make spirit. Um, mm. So yeah, eggy. Uh, definitely, no, no way. Yeah. You know, we we do tend to talk about being muscular, but. Mm. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I think, you you know, I mean, when, you know, that that is part of, you know, so when we talk about that kind of cordite, you know, the, the compounds that are responsible for the cordite aroma are sulfur compounds. And mm. so, they're, they're, you know, the struck match sulfur compounds. Yeah. So yeah. so these are, are all things that are, are part of what makes Kregeliki taste the way it does. It's been interesting and, and somewhat frustrating watching the automatic pushback against the S word, against sulfur. Yeah. And, and one thing that Joshua and I have tried to say is that struck match in a distant room can be a very nice component yeah. of a whiskey. It can really frame out. And earlier when you talked about, you know, the, the 13 being the bonfire whiskey, you know, and I, I think that really speaks to it. But I, I, you know, we know people who have become so precious when it comes to the sulfur component yeah. that any hint of it has them running for the hills, yeah. and, yeah. and 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 it's a shame to see that, um, and, and I I don't like that level of shorthand well, happening within whiskey. I mean, I get that with sherry casks, what we do have to watch out for is that kind of rubbery. Sure. sulfur note that comes sometimes with sherry so I mm -hmm. don't like that either if there is a cask that displays that character then I yeah I want to get shot of it because that for me is something that I don't like and you do you do from time to time see it in sherry finishes or casks um, or whiskey that's been completely matured in sherry so that that mm. is a part of sulfury that I, I agree wholeheartedly with has has no business um being in a in a whiskey but the kind of meaty character of a of, of mm -hmm. sulfur mm -hmm. is is most definitely something that, that that's part of of Kregeliki, but it diminishes as it's in the cask but then adds to the kind of weight of the whiskey in later years when we get more of the fruitiness coming through, but it's got this really strong foundation that, that sets it apart, I think, from, from other kind of Speyside styles. Mm. Um, so you got all the richness of the fruitiness coming through, but it's got this real, I, I call it, a, you know, a real backbone behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, a real strength mm -hmm. of character uh, that, that that comes from from this the the strong foundation of the the new make spirit being heavy in character. Yeah, there's there's a rubberiness that I quite like, and and I'll sometimes talk about fresh bicycle tires or yes. fresh plimsolls yes. or even sometimes the inside of a dishwashing glove, right? Where I, I would appreciate, and sometimes it's it's sat on the windowsill for a day and the sun has beat down on that's it. Like, not good. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? A hint of that can be quite compelling and quite interesting. Yeah. But but when any of those notes 
run away with the whiskey. Yeah. Then, then it's too much. Yes. But yeah. Um, you know, when when you're talking about that rubber, are you saying any hint of rubber in you you want shot of it, or within balance you'd be okay with fresh yeah, bicycle I, tires I, or well, new plimsolls? Is it fresh? Is it bicycle tires? It's a kind of it's, it's a kind of a kind of wet rubbery aroma. I, I get mm, what you mean mm, about the the bicycle party tires. balloons or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe party balloons. Yeah, like party balloons. Um, <laughs> I think anytime you say wet rubber, I think you're off to a bad start. Like that's, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of wet rubber smells that I would find even the slightest bit appealing, nope, and nope. I. Not yeah. Off the top of my head, I can't think of any. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a it's an aroma that is associated with with sherry casks, mm. and mm. it's just it, it completely puts me off, and and I, I just don't like it being present in the whiskey. I, I, I could hear you on wet rubber. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm cognizant of time. I know we've, we've, we've been talking to you for, for over an hour now, <laughs> and I, I know you're a busy person with places to go. Would you have time for just a, another couple of questions? Sure, sure, no problem. Good, good. Okay. Um, I, I have, well, there's always, there's a question we always end with. Jason, I'm going to throw this out there, and if you say, no, 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 we have to ask this one, or, or Stephanie, if you say, no, nah, no, no, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about oh Jason's. Boy. Please this let is me the know. man who talked about knackered casks, so <laughs> anything could happen. I, I have chosen my words wisely here. So we, we led the conversation uh, regarding single malt with Kregeliki. Obviously, you have four other single malt distilleries that you're working <laughs> with and that you're blending with. We don't have time to talk about the other four. But I am curious from, from the... From the perspective of the blender, can you talk about your different approaches to blending for your single malts as compared to blending for blend and, and challenges you may have or challenges you may not have? Yeah, um, it, it's basically the same process um, because with our, I was talking earlier about we have a recipe and a wood profile for our blends. We also have a wood profile for our single malts and so we we fill proportions into into bourbon casks, into sherry casks, you know, into refill casks, into dechar rechar casks and so it's important to get that balance between the different types of casks and you know my aim is always to make whiskey as as interesting as as i possibly can and so by adding in these different types of casks we're adding a, a light and shade to to the flavor profile so a little bit of of sherry for that fruity spiciness you know the the bourbon for that you know the the vanilla coming through so things just to kind of flow together. What does make it challenging, as I was saying earlier, all, and it's the same challenge as a small batch blend, is that each and every cask must be spot on because mm -hmm. the single malts tend to be a smaller batch than, than the blends. And so each mm -hmm. and every cask has to be spot on. And when you're dealing with Altmore, 
and Krigeliki are 46% and no colour added. We've got to sample way ahead of when we're going to bottle just to make sure that everything is has the, the aroma that we're expecting and is visually in line with the previous batch. Sure. Um, and that can be a real challenge um, when, when we're dealing with you know, the 46% non-chill filtered, no colour added offerings. Um, so, mm -hmm. so that, that can be um, a big challenge for us. Um, Royal Brackla, we're, we've recently relaunched that. We relaunched it during our, you know, pandemic. Um, not maybe the, the greatest time to, to launch, but obviously we didn't know. Um, You're right. You know, you don't decide on a Monday and then launch on a Tuesday, right? Exactly. <laughs> it takes time to build this. So, you know, it, it's a beautiful range. Yeah. It, it looks wonderful and it, it tastes wonderful. And th so the 12 year old hasn't changed. It's still Oloroso. But what is different is yes. it, it's 46%. We, the 16 year old has now become an 18 year old. 46% Palo Catardo. And then the 21-year-old is a, a blend of Oloroso casks, Palo Catardo casks, and Pedro Jimenez casks. Okay. So we get these, this wonderful um, blend of all the different sherry styles picked out in, in the 21-year-old. Um, so they, we're actually doing a, a nosing and tasting of them on Thursday internally. You know, we had a kind of poll that we sent out and people put in their names and, and said they would like to try it. And so we've sent them out samples and then um, myself and the brand ambassador will, will um, talk them through the range. Mm. So that's, that's something we're excited about. And, you know, again, the, the Royal Brack, the range is all about a finish rather than being the whole of its life in these particular types of sherry casks. Mm. And that means mm. that we can then say, right, that's probably had too much time or, or just the right amount of time in Oloroso. Let's take it out, put it into to marrying casks. And then that just stops it from, from just tipping over into too much sherry domination. Right. And sure. so it's always important to, to have that balance. So balance is important, not only in, in blended whiskies, but also in, in single malts as well. Balance, but also interest and complexity and, and whiskies that you kind of want to talk with others about rather than just something sure. to knock back. As, as you're talking there about the 46%, and and that's one thing that, that Joshua and I have, have championed, and, and Joshua mentioning earlier his work with the importer Impex, yeah. they've really championed the 46. Given that, that you've been in your position since 2003, have you watched this consumer shift from 40? Because for even a long time, the UK yeah. would do 40, the US would do 43. Yeah. Have you seen that shift in play? And, and what, what do you think's driven that move from a traditional 40, 43 to now, a, I think, a, a new tradition of 46. Yeah, 
I think the, the, the importance now of single cask bottlings has has made the 46% strength more more relevant now. Mm. I, I'm not sure if 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 it's important to everyone, 46% versus 40. But it certainly mm. is something that I'm not sure that people consciously look for 46 in a bottle. But I think when they, they find it, they're pleased that it's there. Because obviously you've got to remember that when people, you know, have a, a, a whiskey, they are probably going to be adding water to it, perhaps, or or some or a mixer ice. of some sort. So or ice. And so I think it, it's something that that we like to talk about, but I'm I'm not quite sure how important it is to consumers. And hmm. and mm -hmm. certainly when we're planning our stocks, you know, some of it we're planning on 40% and some of it we're planning on 46%. And obviously Makes you sense. need more of it um, if you're going to bottle at 46%. So sometimes mm -hmm. it depends on what, what the demand is for a particular oh. spirit. You know, can you afford to make it at forty six percent, but it, it does give a different, it, it gives a different look to to the whiskey, and it, it's almost as if it's it's more in its raw form when it's at forty six percent because we don't we don't filter it in any way. Do you do you blend well, differently if you're if you know you're going to have a bottling that's going to be released at forty percent? or potentially at a different ABV of 43 or 46, do you, do you change up your ratios depending, you know, of different cask styles, depending on what that final ABV would be in bottle? If the visual, if the appearance of it is, is different and therefore maybe there's a change in the flavor, then we might either add in maybe another another bourbon cask or another sherry cask just to to normalize because you can mm. no, you can't tell what a cask is going to be like by by looking at it you have to empty it um, so quite often we will make up a blend of casks for a single malt look at it nose it and then say no that needs another another sherry but or mm. another bourbon cask, or even maybe to the horror usually of our blend centres, half a butt. And they kind of look at mm. you as if, how am I supposed to put in half a butt? But they always manage it, <laughs> or, or they tell me they always <laughs> they manage it. Um, <laughs> so, As I say to my children, that sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I must remember that. I must remember. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yes. Um, I, I sometimes I, I refer to that as dynamic blending. So when we're blending something for the first time, I generally like to be there and then, you know, take a sample from the vat when it's all assembled and then say, actually, let's get another cask out just to, because obviously we make up pilot blends so that we've got an idea of what it looks like. And if 
the finished blend isn't quite matching with that pilot blend that I've got in my head and a physical sample, then I'll say, right, obviously something, you know, a cask hasn't had as much in it as, as we thought it, it had. So let's bring another one out and just, mm. you know, beef it up a little or, or make it sweeter or, or whatever it is that we're looking to do or, or make it smokier. You're you're clearly very very good at your job, and you've won multiple awards, and you've you've been at this a, a good while now. In the beginning, did you ever find yourself chasing your tail a little bit, where you would say, "Oh, that just needs a little more sherry." You put in the bit of sherry, and then you think, "Oh no, now it needs a bit more sweetness." Yeah. Like obviously, by now you know exactly where yeah. to deliver all those points from. Yeah. But in in our occasional blending experiments even for the company we've chased our tail a lot where oh that that sherry didn't just come with this the fruit it also came with the wood now we need a bit more vanilla coming from some burton like yeah d did you live that life for any period I, was, was there an aspect of chasing your tail yeah no i i lived that life um, all the time. Uh, <laughs> okay even, even so, still it still happens so for the the 21 year old I think we had about 12 versions before we finally, wow. that's the one. And it's just yeah. small tweaks. So, you know, all of the, the samples from the casks are, are lined up. And, you know, I'll, I'll first of all start off with, right, a percentage of this, percentage of that, and then, you know, make up the 100 mil sample. Mm. And then setting it out, nosing it. Yeah, okay. So what happens if I if I add a bit more of this, less of that? And yeah, it, it can take several different iterations before you finally hit on the one that you think, yes, that this is this is the one. And sometimes that is born out of too much choice. <laughs> So if you've got an abundance of casks that you can choose from and you you have the luxury of playing about, when it gets to, to older ages, you don't always have that same selection because it is older, there's not much more of it. So so the the amount of choices you have tends to be more limited, but it's it's mm. usually in the older ages that we really get the the contrast so you know I can you know it could be the same distillery on the same day but two different you know the, the two casts can be completely different and so that makes mm -hmm. it quite interesting so you can almost get a completely different blend just by changing one cask so mm -hmm. yes I'm mm -hmm. constantly because you, you don't completely know what a cask is going to give you and so you do have to have all these different iterations in order to get to where you want to be with a particular blend. Do you ever go so far doing the little nickel and diming, a little bit of this, that you eventually just go, zoop, back to the drawing board. Let's just start this from square one again. I've never, I've never had to abandon it and, and <laughs> say, right, another <laughs> load of casks. Um, there, there's generally been something, yeah. I've, I've never, I've never reached the point where I've had to go back to the drawing board. That's good. 
Yeah, yeah. We have. <laughs> <laughs> but you're Many probably times. dealing with smaller, a smaller correct, selection, and that yeah, that is that is hard to get that right. <sighs> So, <laughs> Especially when you're us. No, no, I yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel so, your pain. So, so we'll get you out of we'll get you out of this. We we really appreciate all of your time up, up to this point. And yeah, obviously we could do a deeper dive into so many other aspects and, and hopefully we'll have you back on the podcast. Yeah, well hopefully uh, you can even visit us in person. We would love Sometime. it. It would be magnificent. Yeah. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. Um, so, so we always get our guests out of here on this. Looking forward, and it used to be a different kind of question before 2020. Looking forward, the 2021, the 2022 and the beyond. What's got you excited as you, as you gaze into the future? <laughs> beyond getting back on planes, getting to leave <laughs> your house, getting to leave the country. Um, but professionally speaking, what's got you excited looking um, Well, you know, last year, the SWE broadened the, the number of types of casks that we can mm -hmm. use in Scotch whisky. And so that opened the door for things like mezcal and tequila and, and, and other types of spirits that we couldn't use in the past. So, sure. so I'm looking forward to exploring that in more detail. You know, we had a lot of success with mezcal, you know, teaming up with the guys from Illegal um, mm -hmm. make a really lovely, light, fresh mezcal, which works really well with our whiskey. Um, so I'm looking forward to to looking at you know what does that do maybe with a single malt, and also you know tequila. You know, what what does that do, and mm. and other types of of oak species as well. Playing mm. about with that. Um, so there's, there's just, I'm looking forward to experimenting more um, with different types of casks and really kind of charting their progress. Um, and, you know, not only from a sensory point of view, but from, you know, maturation related compounds coming from the wood. How does that change during, during the, the maturation period? And if we refill it, what does that do? So I, I'm mm -hmm. just looking forward to experimenting and hopefully, you know, I'll get to do that because that is <laughs> part of the rich tapestry of, of whiskey blending is experimenting and hopefully it succeeds, but learning if it fails. Well, well, and even when you were saying about experimenting with the spirit run at Craigellachie, did you have your eyes on yes. the spirit run at, at, at any others of your distilleries? Yes. It's something that I, I don't have the time to do is to spend a lot of time at the distilleries and just um, collecting samples and, and nosing them. But I'm expanding my team and, and that's one of the things that we've got on our sites is to, to spend more time up there and mm -hmm. to really get involved in, you know, developing the character and perhaps doing sort of campaign distillations of a, a, a different type of spirit. Changing mm -hmm. the cut points, 
obviously taking a note to make sure that we can change them back to the <laughs> setting it was before. Yeah. <laughs> One of those schoolboy errors from us. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and really, um, you know, focusing in on that so that we we don't have to rely on casks, finishing casks mm. always to change the spirit, but to use and perhaps different types of, of malts as well. Mm -hmm. um, that we haven't done mm -hmm. in the past. So, yeah. Yes, good call. Any interest in different yeast? Yes. Yes, I, I, would, I would like to, to look at that. We have dabbled in that in the past. Sometimes the problem that we have is that we, we you know, we've only got the five distilleries. They are relatively small in comparison to, to others in the industry. And so we need that volume in order to keep sure. our brands going and so sure. to change the character can be quite a gamble um yep. so <laughs> so we we do have to that's be why i'm loving even <laughs> even just hearing you talk about experimenting like seems like a big gamble so yeah yeah i love that you're already dipping your toe yeah, in. yeah so we are keen to do that because you've got to do it at some point and and this seems like a, a good time to do it. Obviously, this is a long-term thing. So if we if we do some experimentation, you're not going to see that in a bottle for at least three years, you know, according to the mm -hmm. the regulations. And you know, for a single malt, you kind of really do want to keep it in there, you know, a bit longer. So these are all kind of longer-term projects, whereas a finish tends to be a much shorter term. And so you can see something, you know within six months or a year. Well, good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. And it was a pleasure talking to you both. Uh, I really enjoyed cheers. it. Uh, it's been a real treat. Holly gave us the advanced billing on what to expect and, and even her, you know, exuberant uh, terms were not enough. Oh. This was an absolute treat. So yeah. thank you. And we really do. We really will darken your door. We will show up. Please do. Uh, when, when the time allows for it. Please do. Um, it will be brilliant to, to see you in person. Yes. And I'll show you those worm tubs at Craig Elicky. Oh, we're ready. I'd, Love it. I, I'm desperate to taste Craig Elicky new make. Oh, uh, yeah. That's, to, yeah. to see the journey that that goes on will be absolutely key as well. Yes. I'll never forget being at Kregeliki and being under the mash tun and looking at all of the, the different yes. piping underneath. It's, yes. it's beautiful. It's absolutely yes. fascinating and beautiful. And, and even the ceiling in the, the tun room is beautiful. It's all the, mm. the wooden mm -hmm. structures all you know interconnecting. Everything about it is lovely. But you're right, all the pipe work and you, it's like a snakes interweaving with each other it is an yeah. incredible distillery yeah it's really really fascinating oh, forgive we... me while i cry over here because i didn't get my <laughs> visit so <laughs> i just said that to make jason jealous that's all. Um, yeah i know you did i knew exactly why you said what you said <laughs> sincere thanks as always to stephanie mcleod and I liked that our conversation ended in the same place it ended with Cara Lang, which is here we are meeting somebody in the industry who we've heard about for, for a while, mm -hmm. but we're finally meeting them over Zoom. Yeah. And we're jumping right into 
uh, an interview over Zoom. And in both instances, we ended with, can't wait to share a dram in person. <laughs> Next time you two jamokes make it to Scotland, <laughs> make sure you let us know. Make sure you stop by and we'll, we'll continue our conversation in person. We'll share a dram. Uh, you know, for, for us, that's the breaking of the bread, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I, I do, I, I look forward to those days. We've made no secret of that all the way through 2020. We cannot wait to get back to Scotland. We cannot. It's going to be But we must. Good. Yes, indeed. We must. We must. We must. Just like, just like Thanksgiving just passed, we must wait to celebrate it in full next year. <sighs> I know, Joshua. Uh-huh. That we also have to wake the paper boy. Extra, extra, read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, 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 read all about it. Me and that Playboy. I feel as if we've properly woken up the paper boy. I mean, he seemed awake. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly woke me up. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> to the tune of three exclamation points. To the tune of three exclamation points. Nope, I do not have a syphilitic mind. <laughs> we have got a bit of news. I know I've got the bits that I want to share. I'm kind of desperate to share, but I know you've got some bits that you want to share as well. I'm happy to give you yes. the floor, or I'm happy to take the floor. Yeah, you jump in first. I'm always curious to hear what your news is <laughs> about our company. <laughs> Well, we teased it in the in the whiskey widows wives episode, where we said Jason and I are coming out with a third podcast to the podcast family. We did, and Tamara thoroughly enjoyed learning about that from your announcement <laughs> in that podcast. I can tell she did. I can tell she did. I saw the, it was like an upside down smile, which is, that's harder to do than a regular smile, but she's really nailed it there. Um, the, this third podcast is quite different and something that you and I, I think had been planning for a good six months, maybe a little, little more than that. And Oh yeah, for sure. Right. And the title, of, well... Do we want to give the title or do we want to say the idea first? I think if you say the idea, it will deliver the title unto our dear listeners. So the idea. We took it from our own episodes where we start off the podcast and sometimes we don't even talk about whiskey. We end up talking about Indiana Jones or... Blade Runner or this movie or that movie and the running joke has been you know I'm waiting 20 minutes through a discussion about Indiana Jones before they even mention the word whiskey right you and I love our movies we do we do and yeah <laughs> and I was gonna say more there but I'm, I'm, I'm just letting you get to the point here <laughs> and it was clear to us that a lot of our listeners enjoy hearing us talk about the movies right that's important, yes. One of the things that I truly love is going to the movies with a friend. 
don't necessarily talk during the movie, but you watch it, to, right? <laughs> you, 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 you watch it together, and, and then you have a discussion afterwards, right? I like sitting next to people when I watch movies. <laughs> and so we came up with this podcast idea where once a month, you and I together will watch an entire movie Jeez, mm, how how to how to put this in a nutshell? Because I think this is a very original idea here, and so I want to try to explain it as best I can. You're you're usually better with the words. Can you try to put into a nutshell how this this new podcast works, and then we'll deliver the name? Well, for the first episode, you and I just spend time with one another, riffing on a movie. Mm-hmm. That, that you and I have watched many times and you and I have discussed on the podcast a fair few times. In going forward, we are going to invite uh, an industry friend, someone with whom we just simply like hanging out, just like you discussed enjoying going to the movie. But we're keeping a seat on the couch for our dear listeners. Mm-hmm. And the hope is that we'll be able to bring a few mates together here. We're living in the time of COVID. We're living in the time of lockdown. We're living in a time when we couldn't get together for Thanksgiving. And so why not get together, albeit remotely, albeit, this is from education, asynchronously and enjoy time with one another, right? And so, you, me, an industry mate, buddy, friend, and our dear listeners, all watching the same movie, (laughs) those of us with microphones yakking about that movie, but really getting that sense of community, getting that sense that we're all on the same couch, drinking a dram, sharing a dram, just like we said, you know, in going back to Scotland and sharing a dram with Stephanie McLeod, Carol Lang, others. Mm-hmm. How about we do our very best to build a podcast that will allow us to do that? And the name of the podcast draws those three elements together. Mates, movies, and malts. That's it. And Those are the three components. Yep. And so what you will hear as the listener during the movie, you will just hear me and Jason talking. And of course, future episodes, you'll hear me, Jason, and our guest. You will not hear the movie at any point in time. Rather, we give you the cue to press play when we do so that you can be watching the movie, listening to the movie, and listening to us and enjoying that movie with us in your ear. And hopefully you'll have stuff to say along the way. And and that's always been the thing we've heard, you know, people driving in their car, speaking back to the podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, as as much as yes, only you and I have mics. I love the fact that listeners talk back. Invariably, get a chance to send in an email or get a chance to send in a, a, a piece of physical mail. You know, we we love finding ways for this to become a two-way street. And for me, and and I think I I speak on behalf of you here, Joshua, the thought of us asynchronously sharing the same movie, 
right? It's mm-hmm. just that way, you know. In, in this first episode, when we watch Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark together, <laughs> of course, it had to be the first one, right? It had to be the first one, right? I'm thinking about our listeners watching that with us. There are moments when I talk directly to our listeners as we're enjoying that movie together, and I and I hope we were okay with with silence, right? It's not just two hours of you and I talking over the top of a movie. We are listening to the dialogue. Mm-hmm. We are discussing what's in our glass. We are mm-hmm. discussing mm-hmm. what might be in their glass uh, in the movie as well. And so it was just a, just a chance to have a real fun hangout with one another and imagining our dear listeners yeah. on the couch with us. Yeah. So what I will tell people here, uh, again, the name of the podcast is um, Mates, Movies, and Malts. Is that right? Malt, Movies, and Mates? No. No, no. Mates, Movies, Malts. I've got it written down for a reason. Good. (laughs) And that podcast will not show up in your One Nation Under Whiskey feed. You will have a whole new podcast feed to subscribe to. As a reminder, it's going to be a monthly podcast. This first episode, which is the Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark episode, will be a free episode. But moving forward, this is going to be a Patreon. Um, there you go. It's going to be a Patreon. And, and hopefully for the Patreon listeners, you know, maybe we'll give them a little extra stuff every now and again. Maybe a special Christmas episode if we're up to it. Maybe not this year, maybe next year. We'll see. Uh, but we think, we, we think slash hope that becoming a Patreon supporter of Mates, Movies, and Malts, you will find to be... What's the word I'm trying to think of? Worthwhile. Enjoyable. It's Passable. Th- no, no. Asynchronous. No, something like... Yeah, we we hope it. We hope you'll find it worthwhile and enjoyable, passable, maybe even asynchronous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll be fun to find our way on that as well. You know, from from the beginning of extra extra, the description there, which has kind of fallen away uh, as the as the episodes have built during a time of COVID, was that it was going to be a, a Patreon. Mm-hmm. And and it, it has been living in the One Nation Under Whiskey feed essentially because of COVID. Yeah. You know, it's another place for us to, to make contact with with this community of listeners. Mm-hmm. And so so from the from the get-go here we're 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 setting up Mates, movies, and malts on the Patreon side of things, and we'll see where it goes from there. And maybe, maybe we'll be able to have some fun with that. Yeah. Yep. Hope so. So that's my bit of news. In terms of casting an eye forward here, we've got some some news which I consider big news for for twenty twenty one. In fact, I will not even hesitate to call it big news. It's unpacking in my mind as I'm saying this. And holy moly, is it big news. 
I don't know why I was accidentally downplaying that. A bit of the Carol Lang came about me there. A bit of the Scotsman came about me there. You know, without getting too pushy, we might have some news. It's kind of big. Actually, it's really big. As we move into 2021, we are going to greatly expand upon our cask pick program. Indeed. Jess, our our beloved global sales manager based out of Glasgow, will be increasing her focus on cask picks for distributors, for retail stores, for clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in a whiskey club, a whiskey group, a whiskey society, a whiskey commune, if if you'd like a cask, reach out. Very simply, info at singlecastnation.com. For those in the United States, we are adding a new hire in the new year. That we are. Which we are not announcing today. No. We're still, hopefully not giving too much of the game away here, we're still in the interview processes of that. Mm-hmm. But we will make an announcement in January. And there, just like with Jess, there will be an interview. Uh, there will be an mm-hmm. episode with that person. I love finding out about things while we're while we're talking, but that's it. That's it's you're like s- a live, right? It's a live production meeting. But One it's my favorite. It's spot on. We we have to interview this person when we hire said person. Yes, we do. And so that person will be in charge of the burgeoning U.S. cask pick program. And so once again, distributors, retailers, if you as a consumer have a favorite store, and if they're known for their cask pick program, put this in front of them. Have them reach out, info at singlecastnation.com. And again, if you're a US-based club, group, society, what have you, and you'd like a cask, reach out. We'll, we'll send you a list. We'll get you pricing. Don't do it just yet. Let us know if you're interested, but we are waiting until we make the new hire because this will be their program. They will be in charge of this. Josh and I will, of course, be overseeing both Jess and the new hire. But this will be this will be theirs to grow. So, I I'm so excited about this. So keep an eye on that as 2020 moves into 2021. Mm-hmm. We will be keeping busy with this, and it will be in. Oh gosh! Oh, I, I am going to make another announcement, Josh. You're talking about doing things live on air. Oh boy! For our 10th anniversary, uh-huh. which will be celebrated in the year 2021, uh-huh, I'm almost there. we will be releasing new inventory for Single Cast Nation retail. And all of these cask pick program selections mm-hmm. will be in the new livery along with the seventh retail release for the United States, along with the third UK, Europe, rest of the world release when that time comes. I'm I'm going to just throw this out there really quickly. Livery is not a word that many Americans use. Right? So I'm I'm going I'm going to How dare you, sir? How dare you, sir? Listen, we we you use the Queen's English. 
right? I can hear, I can hear fingers attacking keyboards as we speak. And this is even going live for another week to 10 days. I can hear, I can hear the emails being formulated. Packaging. Packaging. Yeah. Packaging. Is what we're talking about. A new bespoke That's bottle. That's what we're talking about. A new labeling system. New, bes- new bottle closures. The whole thing. We're so excited about this. All nine this. yards. All nine yards. And... And because we, we thoroughly enjoy sharing how the sausage is, is made, we've been working on this new livery, this new packaging for how long, Joshua? I was looking at emails yesterday and the first conversation about the new packaging goes back to May of 2019. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. May of 2019 and we will be revealing once the calendar turns to 2021. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, nothing, nothing's ever easy. And, and then, of course, there is that other brand we've been talking about, and we did do a, a deeper dive into that and, and talked about how we've been discussing that new brand for multiple, multiple years. Mm-hmm. And we're inching ever closer to the release of that. That will be in a future episode uh, somewhere in in 2021. So there you go. Those are the those are the two two big bits of news: a new podcast coming to Patreon, and uh, and an expanded cask pick program that will include a new hire stateside. Yeah, for for store picks, for distributor picks, for club picks, reach out to us. I, I'm so excited about this, and then. Yeah. I was just going to say once again, info, I-N-F-O, at singlecastnation, altogether, dot com. And like we always say, there's no E in whiskey. Exactly. <laughs> so you teased us yeah. early on mm-hmm. that we were going to have a card and we were going to have a suggestion along with praise and a syphilitic mind. Yes. So this email, and actually you, you mentioned his name. You 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 uttered his name at the beginning of this episode. Uh, this email comes from the good Andrew Miller, aka the Champagne of of Nation members. Ah, with you, with you, with you, with you, with you, with you. Oh gosh, I have called the Champagne of people. I've I've now ah. I know why he put in three exclamation points. He and I have have discussed this. <laughs> this was a setup. He, you were setting me up with this, Andrew Miller. Yeah. Okay, he knows what he was doing there. He does not have a syphilitic mind. I got it. He's just he's Japanese, poking the bear, as as, uh, exactly. as the kids say. Exactly. So exactly. So Andrew says, JJJ. I hope the subject line was catchy enough to have you actually read my email. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, he is playing 4D chess here. He absolutely gets how the sausage is made. Totally. He he broke the fourth wall there with with that. Um, (laughs) He says, I was taught to sandwich feedback between praise. So I'll start with how I truly think your Padcast is the best whiskey with no E. Pad cost on the planet. 
<laughs> oh, this is deep, isn't it? This is good. He is touching all the bases on this one. This is good. This is good. That being said, oh, geez, here's... Whoa, yep. pump the brakes. Yep. Oh, yep. easy, yep. easy. Uh, that being said, I feel that Joshua has unfairly gotten the better end of the deal when it comes to nicknames, right? We were talking about this earlier. I would. Like I wish to... you could see Joshua's face when I say it. I don't think Joshua agrees with that analysis. I don't. It's not a great nickname for me. Um, I would like to petition for a new name for Jason in lieu of the quote White Walker. The Graham of Thrones reference cheapens his brand and image, which clearly his accent and heritage, along with his vast knowledge of whiskey and 80s and 90s music and movie references, demand greater <laughs> respect. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, gosh. I'm going to have to show this one to tomorrow. Thus, being a member of the nation in good standing, I'd like to propose some alternatives. <laughs> Quote, <laughs> oh, wow, it's funny. I forgot about this first one. Of course, as, as we know, he's the one who suggested the Whiskey Wizard, which has now become your, your, your new moniker. But he starts off saying, the Whiskey Wonder or the Whiskey Wizard. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. Yeah. He says uh, both of these the have, have a better wonder. ring to them. The Whiskey Wonder. Which, you know, when you say Whiskey Wonder, I, I almost picture, you know, a childish uh, Fred. Oh, what was his last name from the Wonder Years? Savage. Yeah. I just picture you as, as, a, as a cheeky wee Fred Savage. Uh, and, and instead of the show being about, you know, the Wonder Years where he's in love with uh, what's her name, that, that little girl. You're in love with whiskey. Winnie Cooper. Winnie Cooper. Wow. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Your your Wonder Years knowledge is real, real surface, real surface. Like, and, and, I, and I say that because even the name Winnie Cooper is surface. Wow. Yeah. And then Paul, after whom I believe Millhouse was modeled in The Simpsons. Millhouse in The Simpsons. It's been years, Jason. It's been years. A Wonder Years. <laughs> oh, so back to the I email. wonder years, I wonder years, I wonder years, I wonder years. I wonder years, I wonder years. Back to the email. So Andrew says, back to the sandwich. You guys are yes. the best. Oh. Right. Uh, I should let me let me do let me do this justice. Back to the sandwich, dot dot dot. You guys are mm-hmm. the best. Thank you for not pulling back on either releases or podcast episodes and persevering through a challenging year. We have all enjoyed mm. some wonderful casks, laughs, and toasts thanks to you and looking forward to an even better 2021. Your friend and supporter, the champagne of nation members, whiskey drinkers, and people in general. How's that for a nickname? Andrew Miller. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Wonderful. What a what a brilliant email. That's gosh. You you and I have 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 talked about this a lot. Anytime a nation member, a, a, a listener writes to us or or speaks with us in any capacity and references the pad cost, <laughs> we're already off to a winner. When when we then have a multi-layering 
of of inner sanctum jokes from Andrew Miller, including his own nickname that was coined on this podcast <laughs> slash podcast. Just brilliant. Just absolutely brilliant. I, I loved every second of that. And I I I graciously accept the the whiskey moniker of the whiskey wizard. And I thank Andrew Miller for saving me from the catastrophe that was the White Walker. Because what a level of cruelty exhibited by Joshua on that. It's really funny. In the, in the last Extra Extra, you had said, a lot of people are saying there's a level of cruelty in the nickname. And by a lot of people, I think you mean you and Andrew Miller. I, I think that's the, that's the extent of it. A lot of people are saying it, Joshua. A lot of people are saying it. Some of them, the best people. You know, you know. Clearly, from that email, some of the best people are saying it. Wow, are there are there people yep. on both sides saying that? Uh, undoubtedly, <laughs> undoubtedly, undoubtedly, it, it is. Can now. you doubt it? Undoubtedly, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Next, you're going to say supposedly or irregardless. <laughs> that's that's what I was riffing on. I was riffing on supposedly. Ah, <laughs> uh, not everybody gets the joke, so. Okay, is there is there anything left? Earlier in the episode, Jason, I had promised you, and I had promised our listeners as well, that we had a card or letter slash card to read uh, toward the end of the episode, and I have it in hand, and I'm really excited to read it because, like I mentioned, this is from New Zealand. How? <laughs> Let's pause for a second here. And talk about how cool it is we're getting letters from people in New Zealand, that we've got people in Brazil listening to us, and Scotland, and England, and Portugal, and just South Africa. Panama. Panama, just all over the world listening to our humble little, silly little podcast. It's amazing how many broken people there are dotted <laughs> around the world. That's the that's the part that gets me. The thing I was going to say as you were holding the card up to the camera for me to see there, because clearly it's not for our listeners to see, but you sent me a photo mm-hmm. of the envelope when you collected it from our P.O. box. Yes. To to this moment, you have told me literally nothing about the contents. That's just true. just the fact we had a card from New Zealand was simply lovely enough. Right. Yeah, I didn't... I wanted to keep it a surprise for you. Can you... Yeah. Can you tell me, did you open it when you were sitting in the car in the post office parking lot? Yes. Sir. Or did you wait to get home to open it? Who... Would wait to get home. When you receive a letter from New Zealand, you sit in your car, you open it, and you read it, you wipe a tear, and then and then you, you, and then you drive home. I knew that was going to be your answer because you're all about the instant gratification. Instant. The the excitement of having that on the passenger seat, waiting to get it home, to get into your comfy chair with a nice cup of tea. Like doesn't enter into your mind. You just rip it open like a wild animal. Because I don't need anything to accompany it. I don't need any accoutrement. I just sit there and, and the, the world 
dissolves. The world fades away as I, as I go into this letter and I pour myself into this letter. I, I, okay. I take it all in and the rest of the world means nothing to me. So now that you've made me wait days and, and weeks, hmm. let's, let's uh, see if Jason can get finally a bit of instant gratification here. He says, hey guys, thanks for the podcast. Chin chin. Cameron. That's it. No, just joking. <laughs> so this says, and, and I, I have to let you know, he's written something. I, I don't know what the native language of New Zealand is. Perish the thought you used any of the time in these preceding days since ripping it open in the parking lot to find the answer. Well, okay, so then I assume that it's it's written in the same language that the hobbits use when they speak. <laughs> you know, this is from Are you the telling me you hobbits. don't know what language the hobbits speak now? Well, they definitely don't speak the language of the Urukai or orcs <laughs> um, or Entish. They so... definitely don't speak Entish. Dwarvish. Pe- people in New Zealand are loving this. <laughs> loving this. They've burned their podcast machines. They're like, I don't want to hear another goddamn word from this dumb American and his transatlantic friend. Um, so who hasn't yet offended them? <laughs> you said yet. Anyway, so it starts off saying, and and uh, Cameron, this this letter is from Cameron Taylor, by the way. Wonderful. And. Cameron says, Kia ora ete wanao, J, J, and J, which means mm. hello and long life to you, family. I like mm. that. Oh, I, can, I can get behind that I for sure. That. Yeah, yeah, it's very That's nice. very kind. And now to the meat of the letter. <clears throat> Would it be Maori? I, I, I know the, the Maoris are in. New Zealand, but I don't know if Maoris speak Maori. I and I could I could be telling my dog this. I'm looking into your eyes right now. I could be having this conversation with my dog for all the all the understanding that is being Arr? demonstrated. Arr? Please continue. My, yeah, Please okay. continue, Scooby. <laughs> because being a regular pad cost listener does make you Indeed. feel like part of the family. That's why he that's why he said that. It makes, makes you sense. feel like you're part of the family. I like that. I listen to a number of podcasts, many of them whiskey-related, and while most of the hosts are knowledgeable and enthusiastic, none of them (laughs) have created the same vibe that you have with each other and your listeners. Much as I know, right? Much has been said already about your hashtag friendship goals, and Mm. I also want to concur that the bond you guys have is truly amazing. I've been madly passionate about whiskey for well over a decade, drinking and researching, reading, sharing, and discussing with friends. A few years ago, I saw a gap in the market for whiskey tasting events around town. He's in Christchurch, New Zealand, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, and these uh, events showcased some of the less well-known distilleries while also proving you can find a decent drop in the $100 a bottle price bracket. It's a side hustle, and I love it. I have most definitely shared stories I've learned from you and your guests with great success. 
Woof. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, this this is this has all been nice. Now listen to this. I really like this. <laughs> My question is more of a discussion. All right. My grandpa emigrated to New Zealand from Glasgow because he wanted more from life than the tenements could offer. As a mm-hmm. child, I took Highland dancing lessons before spending 11 years in pipe bands. I want to share elements of my Scottish culture and heritage with my son without claiming to be anything I'm not and remaining mm-hmm. true to the country we were born in. Both mm-hmm. of you have children born in the U.S. and have family and cultural ties to other countries. How do you plan on helping your children understand their sense of place, who they are, and where they come from? What traditions do you want to pass on, and what role, if any, will whiskey play in that? Yours, (laughs) and you're going to like this, yours, and definitely not Stephen Colbert, Cameron Tyler, a.k.a. (laughs) at Discovering Drams. Uh, he's a great follow. Yeah. Uh, I, I know I follow him on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he's on Facebook. Do you follow him on Facebook Jeez, at all? Louise, I, I know uh, on, on, Instagram? In, on Insta for sure. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a terrific question slash discussion. You know, for me, I'm raising American Scottish Jewish boys mm. over here. And and being Jewish is as important for them and, and for us, his, his their parents, um, as being Scottish. And so, you know, yeah, there's, there's you know, they've been wearing kilts since they were <laughs> wee lads. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's, there's no bagpipes for us, but I, I'm glad to hear Cameron has been continuing that tradition. It's just being... Honest, open, upfront, and and not saying you're necessarily Scottish, but definitely saying here's your history, here's your people, here's mm-hmm. your lineage. Mm-hmm. You're the next link in this chain. Carry that forward, and really be the best representation you mm-hmm. can of yourself and the people who have come before you. And and I've had very brief conversations with Cameron on Instagram, and I know for a fact that he is making his, his father and his grandfather proud in, in how he's leading his own life and raising his son. Um, I don't think there's any issues there with, with him doing the right thing mm. in the right way. You've also taken your boys to Scotland a few times and so they know their their Scottish family where you grew up you've taken them to Glasgow and around in and around the lowlands and highlands they they also have that connection granted they weren't born in the country but they have a connection to where their dad is from which I think is pretty damn special correct yeah. correct. correct and that's important right you you put in the time you spend the money you show them that I'm I'm sure Cameron's excited one day to to get to Scotland with his son and show him around and go to those Glasgow tenements that grandfather left and tell that story. It's it's all part of the fabric of being a human being. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, my my story's a little different. You know, uh, I I really don't have much family outside of the U.S. because. Most of my family from generation to generation were 
too busy escaping the various countries that we were, you know, escaping pogroms and holocausts and, you know, all these sorts of yeah. things to come to the U.S. So I, I don't really have many blood relatives outside of the U.S., I do have a connection to my German heritage, though. I definitely have a, I feel a connection to that. And I think in part because my, my father-in-law is German, from Germany, right? And Indeed. And so it's nice hearing that accent around the house and hearing the stories from the old country. You know, granted, he was in hiding here and there during the war and all that. Um <laughs> Hearing the horror stories from the old country. <laughs> but, the, but then there's the other aspect of it, too, the, the Jewish aspect. I don't know if I've, I've brought this up on the podcast before, but while, while I was born Jewish, I wasn't raised Jewish at all. I was definitely a, a Christmas tree Jew, and we had Easter and Christmas. And <laughs> On my father's side, I had, I had my grandmother... Who we called, you know, Nanny. That was that was her name, and, and she would send us Hanukkah cards now and again. And then my uncle Jerry would do his his annual Passover seder, and and, and we would go over there. That's my uncle on my mother's side. Um, but besides that, I had no sense of being Jewish other than my mother telling me I'm Jewish, and the fact that. I got picked on for being Jewish and, you know, all the, all the stuff that Jewish kids <laughs> dealt. You're, right? you're like, I celebrate Easter. <laughs> I watch Charlie Brown. <laughs> Why are you picking on me? Doesn't matter, Jew boy. Um, so <laughs> so it, was, it was interesting for us when, when Haida and I got together and we knew we wanted to start a family. We actually, you know, we, we wanted a sense of community and so we joined a Unitarian church. And so we were members at a Unitarian church. We actually got married by a Unitarian minister. But when, it, when we started thinking about having kids, it really kicked in that I wanted to instill Judaism to our kids. And Haida, even, you know, she's converted. Uh, so she, she wasn't born Jewish, but she converted, but she felt the same way. She, we, we discovered Judaism actually through the Unitarian church because... A rabbi had come through and, and, and did a sermon there, and we just fell in love with the rabbi, and we followed him to our now synagogue. Mm. And the, the point that I'm trying to get at is there was no traditions for us to fall back on to say, this is what we grew up with, this is where we come from. Yeah. We started our traditions with our family. I stopped celebrating Christmas 14 years ago. <laughs> right? I had my bar mitzvah at age 33. You know, all of this was very new. I almost, I almost felt as if I converted myself, even though I'm a born Jew. And so, you know, interestingly enough, like, like converts themselves, I'm incredibly passionate about my Judaism because it was my choice. It wasn't just something that I was born into. Obviously, I was born into mm -hmm. it. But I made the decision to say, no, 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 this is, this is who I am. This is what I feel connected to. And I'm going to learn about it and I'm going to grow with it. And, and my wife and I are going to raise our kids in it. So, so, yeah, we're just doing it from the ground up here. Well, I tell you, an additional little 
connection for us. And, and I love hearing you talk about community. That's how we have tried to instill all of these traditions and families and countries uh, and cultures into our boys is community. And so there was there was a day, and, and, and you were actually there, we were online with Tal and Tomer mm. from Milk and Honey Distillery mm. in Tel Aviv. And Tamara's, you know, for, for the regular listeners of the podcast, no, that's my wife. Um, <laughs> fwa, fwa, fwa. Uh, t- <laughs> Tamara's dad w- is out of Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I was, you know, on that online conversation, on, on online chat with Tal and Tomer, and my 10-year-old came in, and he's always interested in who I'm meeting with online. And I said, oh, this is Tal, this is Tomer, their milk and honey distillery in Tel Aviv. And uh, and he knew that's where his Saba, his grandfather, mm. came from. And so here's this whiskey world, you know, adding another layer to this community, yeah. this sense of culture, this sense of place. And obviously, you know, I've got the Scottish distilleries uh, whenever we go back to Scotland, those are right there. But having this Tel Aviv Israeli distillery was just such a nice little uh, addition. And so that was really very cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's lovely to reflect on this and, and to think about how we're each raising our kids and how Cameron's raising his son and mm. you know what the future holds for for them. But yeah, thanks ever so much for taking the time to to send a card. Uh, this physical mail is such a, a wonderfully fun thing to receive. It feels great, doesn't it? It just, emails are nice, and I love getting They're emails. They're lovely, wonderful. But there's something about seeing that someone has taken the time to put pen to paper and stick that product into an envelope, send it halfway across the world. It, it just, it means so much and everybody reaching out it it means a it means a lot feeling this piece of mail in my hand that's really it's really quite special so so Cameron thank you so much and uh so yeah so thank you everybody for sending these in you send in a letter we're gonna read it I like that you get instant gratification and I get distant gratification oh does it feel satisfying? The distant gratification? Gratification from a distance? It's a, it almost sounds like masturbating to me. This is not digital gratification. That would be different. <laughs> Prepare to fast forward. Preparing to fast forward. Fast forward. Fast forwarding, sir. You know what? There, There is another email that we got from Ariel Green, but this has been a long episode. So what I'm going to tell you and I'm going to tell the listeners and I'm going to tell Ariel Green is that we will bring this email up if he doesn't mind and if you don't mind in our upcoming mailbag episode. So as everybody knows, here we are. This is this is our fourth season, so this will be our fourth annual mailbag episode which will go live February 10, 2021. If you have a question for us uh, and you want to include it in the mailbag episode, please email us, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com and get that question into us by January 30th. 
and and we will do our very best to include it into our mailbag episode. Yeah, it's it's a fun time of year where the episodes kind of start to take care of themselves, mm-hmm. where the next episode will be our year in review episode. That's how we'll close out the year of 2020. Mm-hmm. We then start to look at mid-February, we will close out the season with our mailbag episode. The end of February will then launch the new season, the fifth season for us of One Nation Under Whiskey. And it's it's nice. I, I really enjoy these kind of comfortable points of reference. Mm, same. And, yep. and I, I, I do, I, I really like that. Before we get out of here, and there's a, there's a little bit of plate scraping behind you that's coming through pretty clear on your on your mic here i'm hopefully hopefully your hopefully your stand mic will clear out some of it we are recording this episode november 25th it's the day before thanksgiving indeed so by the time this goes live i will be talking historically but at this moment i am peeking my eye 24 hours into the future and tomorrow mm-hmm. will mark the 10-year anniversary of you calling me in Palo Alto at Thanksgiving with family mm-hmm. to, to A, tell you if you were having a crazy idea and B, inviting me to become a 50-50 partner of what has become an incredible enterprise over the last 10 years and so I just wanted to take a moment if tomorrow if Thanksgiving even for this Scots lad is about giving thanks I want to give thanks to you for making that call to me for believing that this would be a worthwhile partnership I'm not sure either of us ever imagined it becoming this type of enterprise over the first decade. Mm. But boy, do we work our bollocks off to build this company in our image. We have the nation, we have our dear listeners, we have our retail stores, our distributor partners, our import partners, our Jess, our future hire, our global domination with single cast nation and future brands coming behind. And I just want to say, I give thanks to you. I love you dearly. You are an incredible, incredible business partner. And I have loved every second of these first 10 years. And I am ready to get to the point where we're celebrating the two decade anniversary of that phone call so cheers to you my brother wow you know i'm terrible with receiving compliments all i can say is i know i made the right decision i knew i made the right decision 10 years ago and the past 10 years have only confirmed that so i thank you and i thank our listeners and i thank our nation members and i thank so many within the industry 
that have supported us, right? We, we would not be where we were if it weren't for people within the industry who had already spent their own decades and saying, we think these guys have something. Let, let's see if we can help them out. And that's the beauty of the whiskey industry, right? We're all here to help one another. And it's been special, and it'll continue to grow and be more special as we add in more people, as we add in more brands. Yeah. Shit, man. Thank you. Love you too, brother. Dick Dick. <laughs> Can I tell you really quickly? Really quickly. Really quickly. So my 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 band, when we first started back in 2003, were called Kimono Dragon. And we came out with an EP called um, called The Essence of Dick Chin. But thinking back <laughs> to our Whiskey Wives episode, it's really the essence of Dick Dick or the essence of Chin Chin. I hadn't even thought about that. And, and for all listeners of Whiskey Widows who are now regular listeners of One Nation Under Whiskey, click, click. Click, click. My grandpa emigrated to New Zealand from Glasgow because he wanted... Did I say Glasgow? That's stupid. Did you just say Glasgow? I did. I said Glasgow like a dumb... Like an absolute dumb. So let me try that again. My my grandpa emigrated to New Zealand from Glasgow. Now, is that right? I feel like I'm not getting that right. Gla- yes. Glasgow. 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 Yep. Glasgow. Yeah. Get out of there. Right. Glasgow. To all of our Glaswegian listeners, I apologize. It's it's late. I'm tired, etc. Anyway, uh, so he, he emigrated from New Zealand to Glasgow because he wanted more from life than the tenements can offer. So he left New Zealand and went to Glasgow is what you're Jesus saying? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let's take this from the top. <laughs> Moving right along. Foot loose and fancy free. Getting there is half the fun. Do you think uh, the, the, the 12, you know, 12 days of Christmas, 12 nights of Christmas should be changed to like, Six listeners listening. Five golden drinks. Four <laughs> fingers of whiskey. Are you high right now? Three. What's happening right now? Three friends over. Two more drams to go. And I see ya. And uh. Then I see a bed and a pillow in my future. I I liked I liked the fact that you hedged yourself. You went from the twelve days of Christmas thinking that doesn't sit quite right on these Jewish shoulders, and so you hedged your bets and said, you know, twelve nights of Christmas. You know how how it is. Um, <laughs> you 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 brought a, a Hanukkah lens to those twelve days of Christmas. It's always been twelve days of Christmas. It's, it always has been. Mm. But you're 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 pivoting to the twelve nights. Uh, mistakes the eight nights. Oh, eight uh, nights. Of Hanukkah. Yeah, I never. Eight heard. crazy nights is yeah. what I hear. No, well, I appreciate you setting me straight. <laughs>